This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 21 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today, we have two women uh, that are based on different worlds altogether, but somehow they find commonplace in horses. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Welcome back, everyone. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month. And today I have my producer, Gwen, with me today. Hi, Hi Debbie. How, how are you? Good. It's good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you again. And um, in sunny Florida, I know you're just hunkered down there, but we're in full bloom in the western United States. And everybody is all about trail riding and getting out with your horse. This is the stuff we've lived for all year long. We finally get to bring out all that equipment we've been putting together, all our REI best, you know, shirts <laughs> that are drip dry. And we've we practiced our tie lining and, you know, we're ready to go. So I know while you're hunkering down, you don't want to hear about that. So that's enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I see all my, uh, all my listeners and friends on Facebook and things uh, talking about how hot it is. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, all over the country. Well, just remember, you were the same people talking about what a horrible winter it was this That's last right. year. So, so let's cold. just, which would you rather have? I'd take the heat any day. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, okay. We won't talk about the fact that uh, we live in about 75, 80. I know. It's perfect ah, all the time. Know, you guys it's are praying right. for rain, and we have too much. So It's true. Yeah. It is true. We do need the rain. It's really dry out there. So you guys be careful when you build your camps out there that you you know, squish those fires. If they'll even let you have a fire out there these days, there's a lot of places that won't even let us put a campfire out there because the fire danger is so high. So we have to, you know, um, turn on our, our app on our phone with a little fire crackling. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> kidding. <laughs> is that how you heat your water, too? <laughs> well, you know what? I'm waiting for the app that actually, you know, lights candles and things. How come that doesn't work? I mean, I'm going to figure that one out. It looks like it could, but it doesn't yet. Or a smell. I think they've, they've got one coming out that, oh, I heard this one. This, this is in case you're out on the trail and you don't feel well. They're going to have this uh, glass that you can stick your tongue on. And it kind of gives you a diagnosis, like what may be wrong with you. Is that weird? Is that weird? I can't even imagine that. Anyway, today we've got two people that are going to help us with that trail riding. One lady is just um, is all about Peruvian Passos and and, uh, using those horses in the mountains and in her lifestyle. And the other one is all about safety issues, Lindsay White. A lot of people will know Lindsay from the Horse Radio Network. And she's here to share a little bit for the first time on Horsemanship Radio. Very good. And, of course, uh, we'll have the usual uh, tip at the end of the show. And uh, where in the world is Monty? And <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I, I, could, I can't imagine doing his schedule at my age, let alone Monty's age. So Exactly. And he's uh, so funny with he's in his 80th year. This is our work right now. And, you know, he's, uh, he doesn't want to talk about being 79. He's on to 80. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it doesn't I was going to say, down. I don't think he's 80 yet, is he? Exactly. Not till May. Uh, we're we're talking. About, we're in July right now. <laughs> Normally, people don't want to rush it. He's already on to the next milestone. You know, the only people I know who rush it, it's they're they're like four going on five or seven going on eight, <laughs> or fifty going on sixteen, waiting for the driver's license. They they you know they they're always about feet. Well, yeah. you know, I actually thought about Monty today. I watched a little video of uh, it was on NBC News. They had uh, the elder uh, President Bush who's 90 and just jumped out of a helicopter, parachuted oh. down again at the age of 90. Now, he just got out of the hospital, and they thought they were going to lose him. But yeah. uh, he said he's going to do it at 90, and he said he'll do it again at 95. So Good I, man. I, I actually that. thought about Monty. I said, these two are like the Energizer bunnies. They just keep on ticking. <laughs> I think it's, in, it's all up in the brain, you know. It's how you talk to yourself. And, and the queen who he's just with last week, was uh, she's, I believe, 86. And, you know, there's no stopping her or slowing her down I, Speaking of which, I just saw some pictures of her today. She, she actually photobombed these, these girls who were, who were oh. taking, you know what photobombing is. You end up at a yes, picture you're I not supposed it. to be uh, in the yeah. background. Well, these yeah. two uh, Australian rugby players or something were taking a selfie. And yeah. she's be- right behind him and perfectly in the picture with a big smile looking at the camera. Uh, she knew what she was doing. Uh, she did, actually. And you know what I think about the Queen is 
you've seen more pictures of her on about recently where she's been smiling. I have never seen her smile this much. I think she's just having fun. I think she is too. I think chuck it. You know, she gets to do what she wants now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I kind of think that her attitude has changed a bit now and she's going, I'm just going to have fun now. And you know, look, I'm 86 years old. Uh, you know, whatever happens now happens. So that's right. Like, that's right. I, you know, I don't have to worry about making a living. We're good here. We're just going to, just go for My it. My son's yeah, already right. complaining he's never going to be king, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's too late. <laughs> yeah, she's wonderful. Well, we're going to have some fun today with this these couple of women, too. All right, very good. Well, let's, uh, let's get on with the show, then. Good. Uh, right after this word from IFA.com, we're going to hear from Elizabeth Tierney. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts' Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. <laughs> you know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com, that's IFA as an index fund advisors, or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Elizabeth cherishes her Peruvian tassos and generously opens up her stable to family and friends to come and ride as often as possible and she has spent her lifetime advocating for horses and for people, too. She believes the health benefits go hand-in-hand, and she came from modest beginnings. She and her husband, Tom, built a successful company called Vitatech International, and they manufacture nutritional supplements, and they've been able to endow scholarships in the arts and social sciences and humanities, and they uh, they actually hold a lifetime chair in peace studies, and that is the first of its kind in a University of California system. It's pretty cool. Elizabeth is a former teacher and educator who believes strongly in encouraging young students. Um, I copied a quote down by her, and it says, the most leverage anybody can get for a dollar spent is to help students with their education. It's the best investment there will be. And she has done, she spent her life doing that. So Elizabeth um, has ridden in just about every discipline. She's a horsewoman through and through. But she, I think she enjoys mountain riding in Idaho most of all, and that's where we're going to catch up with her today at her beloved Busterback Ranch in Sun Valley, Idaho. Welcome, Elizabeth Tierney. It's so good to have you on the program, Elizabeth. Where are you right now? I'm in the Sawtooth Mountains in beautiful Idaho on a gorgeous sunny day. Oh, I am so jealous, and so many people are too. It is absolutely <laughs> like a postcard everywhere you look outside your house. And uh, I know, I know. I'm not going to be modest about it. It is drop-dead gorgeous, and I know it, it and I love it. <laughs> Yeah, and this is a second home for Elizabeth, so she does appreciate it so much all the time because she lives in dry, warm Southern California, and to go up into those mountains and breathe that air and see water flowing from the mountains and a little bit of snow yet? Do you still have a little on the caps? We have. There's a little bit of snow on the top, but um, it's it's very dry here, but it's still really, really beautiful, and we're at about 7,600 feet. And we look straight into the Sawtooth Mountains and the White Cloud Mountains, and uh, it's 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 too beautiful for words. It it's is. hard to describe it. And in fact, I'm going to use a photo in the show notes so that people get a little bit of a feeling of oh, what good. it's like. Dear friend, Catherine Thyen sent a photo of you uh, on Zingaro, your beautiful Peruvian paso, oh. <laughs> with the mountains in the background and the trees surrounding you, and it's just lovely. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today, too, because your life has been filled with horses. And uh, I don't think, has there been a gap in any time in your life when you haven't had access to horses? There, there was. There was a gap. Um, when my kids were little for about 10 years. And 
it, it's hard to explain. I always knew something wasn't quite right. And then I started writing again, and then I knew what, what I'd been missing. And that was it. was it, you know. <laughs> and, uh, oh, gosh, for the past 35 years, I've been writing these mountains every single summer. Mm. And for the past 25 years, living right in the middle of the mountains during the summer. So it, there's been a lot of mountain riding, and... Um, this breed, the Peruvian Paso, is just, it's absolutely perfect for mountain riding. It is, isn't it? Well, I mean, I guess Peru is very mountainous, but you didn't always uh, ride Peruvian Pasos. You have a whole lifetime of other breeds yes. as well. Yes. Oh, hunter jumpers and quarter horses. But about 20, oh, a little over 25 years ago, I rode my first Peruvian. And, um, a friend had a Peruvian, and she came out on the Peruvian, and it was doing this termino gait, and I looked at it, and I said, what's the matter with the feet? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, there's nothing the matter with the feet. It's just, this is their gaited horses. They do this naturally. And she said, just get on. And, <laughs> and I did, and it was like getting on a rocking horse. Yeah. And I just said, oh, this, this is the breed for me because I want to go places, you know, yeah. and I want to go fast. <laughs> she does too. <laughs> yeah, so the Peruvian is the perfect horse, um, you know, for a smooth gait, and they move out um, at, a, at a nice clip, and they can go all day, and that's the beauty of them. Mm-hmm. And and they are such mellow little horses. Um, Sweet. You can tie them up all night, even though I feel sorry for them, and they're just fine <laughs> the next day. They'll munch some grass, and then you're ready to go again. That's true. And, and we have been in tie lines with Peruvians across the way. And it's a beautiful sight to see these horses that are just so adapt. Um, I, I, I can't imagine. You've been 35 years with them. So the breed has, was introduced in the United States a long time ago, huh? Well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of putting bits and pieces together. I think the breed has been here right around 35 to 40 years. Mm-hmm. And what prompted some of that, because the Peruvians were so protective of these horses in Peru, it's it's a national pride, the Peruvian mm-hmm. Paso. And the breeders were so um, traditional. <laughs> yeah, and, that's uh, a good they word. Didn't, yeah, they did not want the breed out of Peru. But there was very bad, um, oh, there was a lot of poverty, there was a lot of political reform, and some of these breeders actually uh, were slaughtering the horses, you know, for food. Goodness. And land reform um, took, took the, the land away. Mm-hmm. So there were some very savvy breeders that said, we've, we've got to do something to help save the horse. And so some came to the United States, and they're kind of concentrated in Florida and Texas, a little bit in Canada, and some in California. And so they started breeding programs, and some went very well, and some didn't, because so often Americans think, "Oh, this 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 is a little horse. Let's make him bigger." <laughs> you know? Oh, right, right. <laughs> and uh, that didn't work very well. They're meant to be smaller horses, mm-hmm. and um, there's kind of the northern bred Peruvian and the southern bred Peruvian, and one is a little stockier than the other. But but I've had both, and I have found just because they're little and have small legs, that doesn't mean they're not just as strong, you're just as tough, can go the distance. You know, it, it has very little to do with that. They sure do. They really, and that smooth gait, uh, I don't think, if you've never sat on a Peruvian Paso, I don't think you can describe the gait, but can you, <laughs> because there's just not much, there's all these legs going on under you, but you just don't even, it feels like a, a detachment from the, the seat of your saddle because it's so smooth. Tell us a, a little bit about the, the champagne glass. Oh, that <laughs> is so much fun. When we, when we show off our horses, and we do, we like to show them off in parades or exhibitions. We ride with a flute of champagne in our hands. And, of course, we drink it, and then we have to have Of course. Beer, you know, <laughs> by the end of the parade, you're a little bit <laughs> But it's, it's a lot of fun because it, it just shows off the gate how smooth yeah. it is that you don't spill your champagne and you can drink your champagne. But it's a lot of fun. But the, the breed really goes back over 400 years. And, um, you know, it's a... A derivative of a Spanish horse and a barb, and and the ones that did not gate 
were just called from the ho- the herd. So after mm-hmm. 400 years or so, they have just the perfect little horse. And gotcha. um, you can do just about anything with well, improving. You can a, work cattle. Yeah. <laughs> I do. And you do? Uh, I do. I move cows with them. And uh, I don't jump them, you know, per se, as, mm-hmm. as, a jump, as a hunter jumper, but they certainly jump over every log that they see, or mm-hmm. they can jump over a ravine, jump over water sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really see what they can't do. Mm-hmm. I even have one that pulled a wagon. Oh, and, is that uh, right? I didn't Yeah, know. Taurus pulled a wagon. Oh, perfect. He's so <laughs> So they're, they're just great fun. Well, a lot of people are confused. Now, I, I know that we had a Peruvian Paso um, go up to Flag is Up Farms recently, and the first thing some people that were unfamiliar with them said was, oh, they can't possibly stay sound because their legs are like egg beaters in the front, and they've got this, <laughs> right? Isn't that funny? And, of course, they're sound as, as any old they're, they're very, You know, they're like any other horse. It It just depends, but... I have uh, six of them right now, and they're all very sound, yes. and they're all ridden often. Yes. Uh, when I say often, at least three times a week. Uh, they're all on pasture, which I'm a big believer in. Good I deep. think you put a horse in a small stall, it's kind of like, you know, locking a child in a, in a closet. It's There's no place to go, and it's hard to stand in a wet stall, and their feet get soft, and... You know, it's hard to exercise, and I think so So much of health for a horse is, is being able to move and graze, and uh, so I keep my horses on pasture, but I'm one of the lucky ones who has pasture. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it, and if you can do it, I'm, I'm proud of you for doing it, too. You have a beautiful setup there, and you love your horses, uh, and and I know that uh, that you've been familiar with lots of different trainings and a lot of different um, mm-hmm. traditional disciplines, but mm-hmm. you've gone to a real, I mean, you're a lover of horses first, and mm-hmm. uh, there's no question about that, and your kindness uh, shows in everything that you do with them. Do you? What do you think about this horsemanship movement, this um, away from traditional and going to this natural state? It's, it's the best thing. It really is. Um, I've there is no reason to be harsh with a horse. I've never seen a reason to be harsh with a horse unless unless a person loses their temper out of frustration. That's usually where the harshness comes in, mm. and it's not the horse's fault. You know, right. I think short periods of training and lots of, um, you know, positive reinforcement and not expect too much too soon. Mm-hmm. My, what I really like to do is to... Um, to get a horse in the mountains, to have them um, born in the mountains, and then mm-hmm. you ride you ride out on the mama, and the baby just follows. Oh, you're so then, smart. Yeah. Yeah, and they'll go over every log. They'll go through every stream. They'll swim the river because they're following mama. And nothing, nothing is too much for them because mm-hmm. it's natural. Yeah. And they're so cute. Sometimes they'll run ahead of us. And then they get scared. <laughs> they're all alone. Then they run as fast as they can back to Mama, you know, and then yeah. they get their courage up again. But that horse is easy to train because yeah. they've done it all. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Good, good uh, sound uh, muscle building and lung building and everything, too, going off running up mm-hmm. those mountains with Mom. You're in such a high. Oh, yeah, place. it really is. And sometimes you just have to stop and let them rest or stop and let them nurse and um, then you go on again. And that, that is really one of the most fun things I've ever done. Uh, yeah, that's great. I was going to ask you what makes a great mountain horse, and I guess that's the best answer. That's, that's it. the perfect answer, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, some of my horses haven't had that advantage, and I, I bought them right out of the, the show arena. And um, it's interesting. It takes about three seasons to make a good mountain horse if they're mm-hmm. out of the show arena. And you can do it. I mean, a lot of people say, why would you do it? You shouldn't try to do it. But you can do it. And my favorite horse, Zen, was right out of the show arena. Zen he's a champion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's a great, he's just a great mountain horse. You know, he just took to it right away. I think some of the more difficult horses are horses that have been raised in the desert 
and then I bring them to the mountains, and they're afraid of water. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they have to get over before. it because it's <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere, and um, some take to it, and some are a little more shy. So you just have to keep working with them and keep encouraging them um, and, you know, praising them when they do it right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. They're generous animals, aren't they? Oh, gosh, biggest hearts. They're givers, you know. And and I have found that a horse is really as brave as its rider. Yes, that's true. That's true. Are you good about keeping your um, adrenaline down and your heart rates down? Do you think well with that? Well, I try to. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're pretty good at it. Going across some snow banks and doing some crazy stuff in the mountains. Yeah, sometimes I meet up with some crazy stuff, but... um, you know, sometimes I say, I kind of say to myself, I know you're scared, but I'm not, so let's go. There you but go. the truth is, I am a little scared, <laughs> <laughs> but I try not to act it. <laughs> uh, hopefully they can't read your mind, but just read your physiology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just keep, you know, talking myself through it and talking the horse through it, and we usually get through it. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. Well, you're just one of the biggest advocates for horses that I know, and I know you're a hands-on horse owner. You've got the stable just steps away from your own beautiful home. Oh, yes. And, yes. But they're... they're there must be chores that you enjoy and those that you hate. Which do you like the most and which do you like the least? There isn't anything I don't like. I'm getting old and my back hurts, so shoveling isn't one of my favorite yeah, things anymore. But no, I like the warmth of the horse. I like being close to the horse. And I've often said if I could never ride again, I would still have my horses because I need them around me. I want to look at them. I want to feel them. I want to talk to them. Um and that that's just really important to me. Mm-hmm. And my husband rarely rides. He's not a bad rider. He just doesn't take to it the way I do. But he feels the same way. He adores these horses, and he wants to be close to them. There is a big. I know you're a dog lover too, but there's a big difference between those those carnivores and those flight animals. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two different beasts. <laughs> Two yeah. totally different beasts. I do. I love my dog. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just took a big hike with two of the dogs this morning, and it was just great. Uh, that's I don't know a horse owner that doesn't have dogs, too, actually, I don't think at they all. They kind of go together, don't they? They, they, they really do. Yeah. I know, and I love taking the dogs on rides. Yeah. And um, I have a little French bulldog now that's about a year old, and um, I was putting her in my saddlebag, my, my horn bag, and she... She grew and she got a little too big for it, and uh, I'm really surprised at how she can stay up with the horses now. It makes me laugh because oh, she's tiny. Short legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good thing you don't have thoroughbreds up there. I guess it's good you're on Peruvian. Oh, now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the they are really are good. They're good yep. with the dogs. Um, oh, you know, yeah. a lot of horses are good with dogs, and some aren't, but the Peruvians in general are quite good. I think they're the sweetest things. And sometimes I, I have a, a terrible theory of why those uh, Peruvians are so sweet. It's because I think the ones that were so sensitive that they um, fought, you know, mm-hmm. probably were cold. And and I think it really, it's not a deadhead breed at all, but I think it's an incredibly compliant breed. And, and for anybody who, you know, wants to be on a smooth ride with a really smart brain up in the uh-huh. mountains, I mean, you can't, you can't survive up there if you're, if you're silly. Yeah. Uh, no, there's, there's perfect. nothing like it. You've got to have a horse with a good head up here. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you, you, when you talk about the Peruvian, you talk about Brio. Mm-hmm. And what the brio means is there's an energy about, you know, within the horse. And sometimes you get on the little Peruvian and it's kind of like getting on a Harley Davidson and it's just kind of going, you know, there's, there's a <laughs> yeah. lot of energy going. And you, uh, people who aren't used to that say, oh my, is this horse, you know, what's this horse going to do? And I say nothing. The, the yeah. horse is just saying to you, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> it is so true, Elizabeth. I don't know. That's hard to explain, too, because it is uh-huh. like a little it motor is. in there, and people feel like that's going to turn into some sort of spook or some sort of flight. But no, they're, they're really practical little horses, too. There's a four-beat lateral pattern. Maybe Maybe we should just um, wrap up with a little bit about them that way, because you do that so well where you can explain the different yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it's they call it termino, and it's the, the, the forward feet 
go in an out for an outward almost round motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Spanish word termino, and uh, it's just you know it's wonderful. There are basically um, well, there's two gates that you show show in the the Paso Llano and the Sobrandondo, and the Paso Llano is it's it's a fast walk with the termino. And the Sobrandondo is is more like, um, oh, I would say a sitting, about the speed of a sitting trot, Mm -hmm. but not a trot. And uh, then, of course, they run and they gallop. They do all those things Mm -hmm. um, that any other horse does. And what's what's really nice is that they can walk in gait. So just, just in a walk, they are incredibly smooth. Right, and this is totally natural. This isn't one of those things where no, people no. say, "Oh, have they created this with bracelets?" No. Or yeah. no, <laughs> you know, you see them do it when they're a week old. Right. Yeah, yeah uh, you see these little little horses gating, you know, right alongside mommy. <laughs> it's so right. cute. That's right. They're adorable. They're adorable. Thank you for joining us and letting us know a little bit more about Peruvian Passos, Elizabeth. It was a lot of fun. Well, you're most welcome. I, I mean, you know, uh. I adore them, so I'm always happy to talk about the the breed or or horses in general. You know, we all have a lot to learn from horses. Elizabeth Tierney, thank you for joining us on Horsemanship Radio. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. Well, you know, I don't know much about Passos, and we have a bunch of, in our, we live in an equestrian community here in Ocala, Florida, and it's all about 400 homes and about 300 and a half horses. <clears throat> and yeah. uh, there's when I take my pony out driving, there's a bunch of Pasifino farms that we pass, and there's a bunch of them in the neighborhood here. And I don't know much about Pasifinos either. But there's a Pasifino stallion that's always out in the field, and he gets so puffed up when we come by, and my little pony then has to puff up. And oh. uh, so we have, this, we have this challenge every time we go by the Pasifino stallion. Uh, and, you know, the Pasifino stallion is kind of a chuckle because you know how they, how, how, what movement they have. So it's yeah, his little short steps. Fine. So he yeah, comes over, fine. his neck is all puffed up, and his mane's all puffed up, and his head's all puffed up, taking these tiny little steps across the field. <laughs> It's so funny. It just makes you yeah. want to laugh. They're uh, just too cute. It, yeah. I mean, they all look like girls to me, and I, I love them. I, they're beautiful. I don't mean that in a bad way. They're just so I know. pretty. They're I know. Pretty. You just have to laugh at them. I mean, he, I know he... I know he's trying to be tough, but when he's mm-hmm. taking the tiny little steps coming across, it's just funny. Yeah, I know. I can tell you aren't used to these gated horses. They're no, adorable, it's just though. funny. <laughs> They're adorable. Well, we're going to have some fun, too. I don't know if uh, Lindsay White has ever had gated horses, but she's had about everything else, from Shetland ponies all the way through to uh, big old jumpers, too. So um, we're going to talk a little to Lindsay White. Welcome, Lindsay White. We're happy to have you here to share about your life with horses. How are you? I'm good, Debbie. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. We haven't done you here yet at Horsemanship Radio. I'm I'm happy to have you on for the first time. I hope not the last. No, I'm excited to be a guest on the show. Well, you've been on Horse Radio Network quite a bit, so I know that you know the the life of Horse Radio Network, and we're getting you around the, the globe here with the the international flair, but our um, our listeners are a little bit unique in that we're kind of cross-spectrum of disciplines. We've just had somebody on that was uh, talking about a Peruvian Passos, but I know you've had a lot of background with a, a variety of, you grow up, grew up uh, riding and competing from Shetland ponies all the way up the tall, tall ones too. What, what's your background? I did, yeah, pretty much a little bit of everything. I mean, um, I obviously, like you said, got my first Shetland pony at the age of four and kind of graduated up the ladder. Um, so I've, you know, done everything from a bit of showing to eventing to jumping. Um, so tried my hand at most things. But if I had to pick a favorite discipline, probably would go towards eventing because I think the thrill of the country is just um, unmatched. Um, but that being said, 
I am developing a bit of a fondness for wanting to try my hand at more Western disciplines. Oh, we're going to get you. Okay. <laughs> You're heading west, young girl. Good. That's right. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Now, my mom is out there right now on a rainer. She's got two that she's been going on. One's great on the cow and one's great on the dry work. So it's a lot of fun. What What do you look forward first, spinning, stopping, or working right into those cattle? Oh, put me out on the range. Oh, <laughs> That's great. I want to so be a proper you, cow girl. A proper, somehow that doesn't sound quite right. But a proper cow girl sounds a little bit of both worlds. <laughs> but but are you are you a hands-on owner, Lindsay? Have you always, uh, you haven't had, Not you know, a string of grooms it. behind yeah. yeah, no, as, uh, obviously I was when I was back in England, but since I've been on the, in the US just riding, um, friends' horses, um, as opposed to owning my own, but yeah, very much hands on. Hands on, yeah. So you, you like the life of horses and, and everything that goes with it, all the responsibilities, all the upkeep, and all the love, huh? That's right. Oh, that's great. Well, we love having you on here for that reason. That's pretty much us. Um, all of us would be, Ah, oh, right now, listening to this because that's us. But you, you kind of got into especially when I first met you, gosh, well, you were with a company named Succeed, and so you were all about health and digestive health. And then the next time I met you was in Florida, and you were, well, you were helping with more of a fundraising event then, and it happened that, that Dad, Bonnie, was um, doing a pas de deux for the event, uh, with Courtney King Dye on a big, tall, warm blood, and he was on the smallest little Rainer mare that I've ever seen. Do you remember that? I do remember that. That was a lot of fun. You were a, a big, integral part of putting that whole thing on together. I, I can't can't believe you remember any tiny aspect of it. But that was a fun <laughs> one. And and uh, and it was shortly after that that I know that Courtney King Dye um, had a, a freak accident. She did. That was in, um, I think that was in 2009, and she had her accident in the spring of 2010. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was it was a very very serious accident. Um, she basically was riding down in Florida and was not wearing a helmet, and she was just schooling a horse, and it was at a walk, and it was a completely freak thing where the horse kind of tripped, mm. and um, she hit her head and uh, suffered a traumatic brain injury and was in the hospital for about a month in a coma. So it was very much touch and go for a while. Um, and uh, she, you know, she would tell you she's very lucky to be here. Um, mm-hmm. And since then, she's obviously um, partnered uh, with us because we launched a campaign called Riders for Helmets that year in 2010 to educate equestrians on helmet wearing. And it's not just about trying to convince people to wear helmets, but it's about all aspects of helmet education. So replacing your helmet when you need to, whether it's because it's old and it's expired, you know, and it's Mm. passed four to five years, you know, kind of 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 wear and use, or whether, um, you know, people need uh, advice on when they should replace helmets if the head while wearing it and correct fit and that kind of thing. So it's not just on on with regards to the you know the viewpoint of trying to convince people to wear helmets. It's like all aspects of safety education. Oh, um, yeah. And, yeah. And so since her accident, Courtney, um, since obviously going through a lot of re- rehab and recovery, kind of about the year, year and a half, two year point after her accident, mm-hmm. she started to really be vocal for the Riders for Helmets campaign and partnered with us and. We produced some videos which have gone on YouTube and been watched like 70,000 times. Oh, my goodness. Um, and, um, yeah, just really has been very vocal for trying to encourage, um, you know, helmet safety and equestrian safety in general. That's great. So uh, so she was in a coma for a while, and then it took her a long time before she got her voice going again. And and so what the recovery time was like a year or so before she was I, actually it, yeah i think it was a very long time i mean she that was is a long time yeah she was undergoing yeah. extensive uh, rehabilitation speech therapy um yeah. still has a lot of problems i mean her speech is still affected and not perfect like it was before mm-hmm. um and she also has some problems with her um you know right side um mm-hmm. so she actually walks with a walks with a cane and um you know, and um, 
need some support when walking any kind of distance, so she's still having quite extensive problems. But rehab from a traumatic brain injury is a very, very long process. Um, But it was actually at the second uh, safety symposium that we put together, kind of bringing all different experts in safety, neurosurgeons and the helmet manufacturers and Olympians and all these different people into a room to start, you know, really talking about equestrian safety. Uh, she actually attended that safety symposium and stood up for them yeah. and talked. Um, nice. And it was, yeah, very kind of touching to everybody in the room that she was there and able to talk about her accident and in a positive light, not, you know, mm please feel sorry for me but you know please don't let this happen to you and here's why you don't want it to happen to you and here's what you go yeah. through so that's the thing Lindsay I mean we've all we've all been there we've all jumped on a horse without our helmets on we've all or been on a horse that's tripped and um you know it can happen in a heartbeat and so it's wonderful that you're out there educating on what we should be doing and how we should be doing but how do we catch ourselves in those moments like we used to not wear seat belts right and then i mean i'm old enough that i remember really when we didn't wear seat belts and then it was a law and so then we started putting the seat belts on um but i still know that people you know sometimes buckle them together so the thing doesn't beep at you and you know how do we convince ourselves that we really need to do it 100 percent well, I think um, it, it's not, you know, it's very much used that, oh, in the English disciplines, people ride with a helmet as well, and, and not so much in the Western. Um, mm-hmm. But it's actually becoming more and more prevalent in the Western disciplines that people are starting to look at helmets as well. And instead of kind of suffering the scorn of, oh, you must be an amateur, or your horse must be really naughty, you know, because you're wearing oh. a helmet. <laughs> yeah, sure. people are actually, you know, and it's amazing how many times pe- people in Western dil- disciplines are saying they're hearing that. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's starting to become more uh, kind of ebbing into the Western disciplines as well. And there's some great, fantastic people that we've partnered with. They're at the top of their tree. Um, we've got a lady that actually had a traumatic brain injury herself. And she is mm-hmm. um, the world champion cowgirl mounted shooter. Um, oh, and yeah. she promotes helmet safety, Tammy Srantz. Um, there's also... Um, a lady by the name of Cassie Slack down in Texas, and she's a, a, a champion team penner, and she wears a helmet, and she's really going out there and promoting helmet use in Western disciplines. Um, there's Mary Miller-Jordan and Alyssa uh, Wallace, who've been to the Supreme Mustang Makeovers, mm-hmm. um, and they have worn helmets, and Mary was actually the reserve champion. Um, so we're starting to see more and more helmets come in the Western disciplines, but I think from the standpoint of why would you want to wear one, I think it, you have to think more what would position would I be in if I didn't. Um, yeah. The average cost of a traumatic brain injury is $1.5 to $3 million. Okay, that should hosp- do it right there. Yeah, <laughs> including the hospital stay and all of the oh. rehab. It's very, very expensive. Oh, yeah. Um, And people have no idea, you know, there's families that have gone bankrupt trying to pay for their loved ones to receive the care. There's families that have gone through divorce because the stress just tears them apart, you know, when they're trying to, you know, uh, put all their focus on their loved ones and trying to get the loved ones fixed. Unfortunately, you know, their Mm -hmm. own personal relationships fall apart. Um, And then there's also the side of it, who's going to look after you as well. Because mm-hmm. it is um, something that you have to think about. If you suffer a traumatic brain injury, you're going to require 24-7 care. And once yeah. you're out of the hospital, because the insurance will only pay for that for so long, if you're indeed you're lucky enough to have any insurance, mm-hmm. um, woe betide if you don't, um, you know, that is something that you are putting on the shoulders of somebody else. You will be expecting mm-hmm. somebody to be, become your caregiver. So, so many of us are... Yeah, so many people listening are, are moms and, and have people that depend on them and uh, all the right reasons. I, I do see, how, how do you think you're going to tackle that Western thing? Is it mostly through people of influence that are doing well in the Western world? Change, I mean, the bull riding, yeah. that's a good example of the bull riders never yeah. used to wear helmets and they all seem to be in a cage anymore. They've got the vest protectors and the, and the caged helmets and, and, you know, they're not crazy, right? <laughs> Yeah, so what are no, we thinking? yeah, no, that's a really positive step in the right direction that we've seen in the last few years. But I think it's kind of multi-approach. Mm-hmm. I think there's always people in the Western disciplines that are just going to decide a helmet is not for me, you know, and they're mm-hmm. very much entitled to their opinion. It's their head at the end of the day. Um, but yeah. I think the way in which we can tackle it is educate the youth 
because if we can get the youth wearing helmets as they grow into adulthood, yeah. then it's become the norm for them to indeed carry on wearing a helmet and it's not such a stigma thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also got great people, like I say, that are of influence, that are their champions in their Western discipline, you know, their field, and they are wearing yeah. helmets. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, if they can wear helmets, you know, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we are sponsoring and doing lots of incentives. So, for example, at Supreme Mustang Makeovers, we've given like $2,000 away in prize money. And basically, the money is distributed to the people in each class that are the highest place wearing a helmet. Um, And that's had quite an impact. So we're hoping in the next year to do some more of those type things with the Riders for Helmets, sponsoring that. Um, We've got people that are out there that are just brilliant souls, such as, um, you know, Cassie Slack. I mean, she's... Mm-hmm. actually partnered with one of the helmet companies and she's buying helmets at her expense at cost yeah. and she's going to shows and she talks to the parents <laughs> and then by the end of the weekend she's given them a helmet and they've got the helmet on the head riding around oh that's great you know, look at doing that it from, yeah so she's doing it from the grassroots level mm-hmm. um and then you've got some of the junior juniors really trying to be role models as well there's um uh megan sparks in ohio She's um, a junior national barrel racer champion, and she's um, been a huge advocate for helmet wearing, and she trains with Martha Josie and some other big um, names, and she has consistently worn a helmet, and that's starting to rub off, and she's now seeing that people that she sees at the shows at the junior level are following suit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of a multi-pronged approach, really, with regard mm-hmm. to the Western world, but... I don't believe that we should ever be bashing people or telling them, you know, you're crazy not to wear a helmet. I don't think that's ever the right, right. approach. I think, right. you know, by being negative, I don't think you get a positive outcome. So I think the right way to do it is the kind of things that we've just, uh, just stated. And hopefully if more and more people start make that decision to wear a helmet, it has a, you know, a knock-on domino effect. Yeah, yeah, good. And are the designs of helmets being more comfortable too? Because innovations always seem to help if if people complain oh they're too hot or they're uncomfortable or are they are you seeing innovations because more more people are trying to wear yeah. them yeah absolutely i mean the helmets are becoming more comfortable good for wearing in the heat so you know in texas california the states that yeah. are just so very hot in the summer um they're also becoming more stylish and trendy as well i mean there's some really good looking helmets out there now yeah. and while they're not obviously the style of a cowboy hat they are really good at looking attractive helmets and they they are being aimed specifically at western and trail riders um yeah. a lot of helmets are coming out aimed at that specific market segment now. yeah i've seen the leather yeah. like the tool leather looking ones yeah, yeah that's that smart yeah. smarter than the mushrooms do you remember like 10 years ago yeah. like 15 years ago, they look like <laughs> big mushrooms on your head and i thought that's probably not what what we're going to see but um I, I hope that they'll keep innovating and that people will kind of keep an open mind to that too and and, and i know that you're not just about helmets. I have one quick question about helmets, though. Somebody told me recently that this um, this growth in GoPros, you know, the cameras that uh, yeah. people put on their chests or on their helmets, that by putting a GoPro on your helmet can compromise the the um, effectiveness of a helmet. In other words, it um, puts stress yeah. maybe on. Yeah, is that true? I I don't have enough facts to make a call on that one way or the other, but I know there has been concern. I know in the UK, I think it was. I believe it was. Um, not just for that reason, but also for a, a copyright claims reason. But oh, I think British okay. Eventing um, bans the use of the, the helmet cams. Um, yeah. But there has been a lot of talk amongst the helmet manufacturers. If you're putting that on and then you take a blow to the head, yeah. is that, you know, causing an issue with the helmet with regard to how it protects you? So I think it's definitely an area that needs addressing and it needs looking at. Because, yeah. you know, the, the helmet cams are fabulous because in sharing those, it's encouraging oh, yeah. people to wear a helmet in the first place. So they've got something to put the cam on. But, right, you know, we have right. to be careful. Does it, you know, compromise the helmet in any way? So that is a great question. Structurally, something. yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that is something we do need to look into. So, Good. Um, Good. But, you know, with regard, to de- with regard to design of helmets as well, just going back to that for one moment, um, this this helmets that are coming out specifically for juniors with all kind of cool decals and graphics and you know yeah. cool stuff on the sides of them as well so you know for the junior youth uh, they, they can pick out a helmet you know that's got all these 
um, you know, there's some like with flames down the side. And, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, you got to appeal. That's great. exactly. So for the juniors, they're really liking that. I love that idea. Yeah, because they do seem to make it their own. We just watch the t-shirt trends and, you know, surfing trends and all that. The, the kids will think of stuff that we'll never be able to think of. So um, yeah. I like to see them involved. Do, do, can people go on Riders for Helmets, your your website, and see what the latest, greatest news is? I'm going to put that plug in there because I'm wondering if you – I didn't go on there today. Did you uh, – do you have um, help for parents or, you know, ideas? Yeah, for it's yeah. – yeah, it's riders and the number four and then helmets.com, but there's actually sections on there where, which are educational. There's videos on correct helmet fit, helmet replacement, statistics in regards to accidents. Um, there's hundreds of stories which um, people that follow the page have shared with us um, uh-huh. and, you know, their own story. And some of those, they're enough to make you read it and go and buy your first helmet, which indeed has happened, and we've had emails to that effect. And I'm yeah. talking in all disciplines, Western as well as English. Um, you know, so there's a lot of great information and resources on there. We've had uh, videos that we've produced with neurosurgeons, and they're on the website. So mm, it, it's jam-packed with information. Um, and, you know, we run a lot of contests to win helmets, and we do some really fun stuff too. So, mm. um, you know, it is a great resource just to go on there and dig around on all the various pages and, and really get educated on all aspects of helmet wearing. That's wonderful. Thank you for for putting your life into all that too now tell me about i know that it's the middle of summer and it's light till nine o'clock or so in most places um but this visibility thing is really become an issue because of our shrinking world uh we just i was just having a question answered about what's the best time of day to ride and everybody has you know if you have a job it's 6 a.m you can ride or it's 8 p.m. or something, you know, that yeah. you can ride. And and that gets us into issues of roads and, you know, interaction with bigger things than horses. <laughs> and what, I know you've been involved in the high visibility range of, of clothing for equestrians. And um, so while we're on this safety talk, let's talk about how people can be safer on these roads out there, too. Yeah, I think um, the high visibility thing is quite interesting because obviously a natural um, thought that comes into your head when you think of wearing reflective clothing is obviously when you're on the road um, Mm -hmm. so that you're more visible to cars, to motorbikes, that kind of thing so they can give you a wider berth, slow down when they see you and you can be seen from a much greater distance. Um, So that's particularly important. But people forget the other aspect. Well, there's a couple of other aspects that people tend to forget as well. One is when you're trail riding. And if you're out on a trail and you take a fall off your horse, and unfortunately the horse ends up making its way back to the stables and you're in the middle of, you know, nowhere, and they send a search helicopter out for you at night, if you're wearing reflective gear, the headlights of that um, helicopter or the lights from the helicopter can actually see you. Um, and it makes it much, much easier for rescue workers to find you if you're wearing mm-hmm. reflective clothing because there's been some very sad stories where horses have made their way back to the barn and it's been days before the rider oh, you know, has been found. Nice. Yeah. Um, so there's that aspect. And then also for like hunting during hunting season as well, you mm. want to be visible and seen, obviously coming up in the fall. Uh, you don't want to be riding in the woods. You don't want to be riding, you know, anywhere near where somebody's got a gun yeah, and you can be mistaken for a deer. Um, so from that aspect, Okay, so we want to be a target for the rescuers and an anti-target yeah. for the hunters. That's okay. right. <laughs> That's right. That's so, yeah, so, and the visibility gear, I mean, it's so trendy uh, these days. It's not. It's not just that it looks like kind of a construction worker's vest. You know, yeah, that's <laughs> designed and fit to look really fashionable. Um, and, you know, there's pinks, there's oranges, there's yellows, but in all different stylish um, jackets and vests and accessories for the horse and rider. So, you know, it's really becoming quite a trend thing as well. Um, so it's it's functional but also fashionable at the same time. Oh, I love that. Yeah, you don't want the, the big orange stripes to been up and down your, your vest. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> that, that is so smart. They don't even look like high-visibility clothing in a lot of – I mean, if if you don't put a reflective light on it, sometimes it just looks like, um, like this neon pink and greens that I'm seeing in fashion too, huh? Yep. Absolutely, yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I know that that's a big deal in England. You guys are way ahead of us, you Brits, 
um, in figuring that out because you've been on the roads for so long. I remember this in Ireland too, going cross country that, I mean, you just jump a hedge. There's very little, um, divisions of properties other than hedgerows and things like that in some areas. And, um, you can get into areas where you really do need high visibility. Out in the wild, wild west here, you know, we're pretty spread out. But, hey, I really relate to that thing about, you know, I'm getting dumped six miles out. I want somebody to come pick me up even if I'm not hurt. I don't want to, I don't want to walk home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to be found quickly. But, well, that's great. Thank you for for that, too. So you're everything safety here today, aren't you, Lindsay? Yeah, so we, we have a great range that can be seen at highvisibilitysportswear.com. It's the, highvisibilitysportswear.com. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes too. And Equisene, yeah. is that, that's part of that company? Equisafety is the, is the range from England and we're the North American distributors for that. But it's, okay. it's so cool. I mean, there's even stuff for dogs as well. So there's like flushing dogs. Oh. We can't stop your dog running away at night, but at least you can see, see his collar blinking from a mile away. Oh, very <laughs> good. That's right. I, I don't yeah. know a horse owner that doesn't have a dog in their life too. So that's brilliant exactly. as well. Yeah. Cats so too? Not, do you have anything for cats? We don't Forget. have anything for cats, but we do have like dog coats and dog collars yeah. and, you know, yeah. stuff for the horses, leg boots and, and blankets and all kinds of things. So Fantastic. it's a really, really cool, trendy range, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I've seen you on Facebook and tweets. You're on Twitter, and you're out there. You're taking – I know it's it's not just business hours. I know you're putting your own personal time and life into this too, and I really appreciate that. As a horsewoman coming up, um, people should listen to you because – You've seen it all, you've heard it all, and I can't imagine how much you've had to speak about it in the last couple of years, but we all as as moms and riders of horses out there who love to advocate for horse riding and don't want people to um, shun it because there's a bit of element of danger in it, you know, um, we appreciate you helping us out there keeping horses in our lives. Oh, thank you. We appreciate um, you helping to spread the word and having us on the show to talk about it. Today for our trainer's tip, we have up next Dr. Susan Raymond from Canada at the Guelph University. We're really fortunate to have her give us a tip today on emergency preparedness. Welcome back, Dr. Susan Raymond, Communications and Programs Officer at Equine Guelph at the University of Guelph, Ontario, Canada. Thanks for joining us again. Well, thank you for so, so much for having me again. Well, it was a real interesting uh, interview that we had with you, and we wanted to have you back to share with our listeners a tip, because I know you do so much work with not only horsemanship, but also with emergency rescue. What tip do you have for us today? I would say my tip of the day is to make sure that you're prepared for disasters. Um, Look at, nobody wants to think about this, but look at your facility and where you live and think about what potential problems could occur, whether it's ice storms or floods or drought, any sort of disaster or fire, anything, look at it and decide if that were to happen, what would happen at your barn? Uh, Do you have some pre-planning in place? Uh, Have you pre-planned what you're going to do? And then if the event actually occurs, what's your your plan for in in the event of a disaster? Mm -hmm. And is there... Uh, do you have anything on your site that can guide people? Where would they begin? Well, on our site, on the Equine Guelph site, we do have a range of tools that can help in terms of emergency preparedness. We have both um, with Equine Guelph, this is our year full circle responsibility in terms of equine welfare. On our homepage, we have a, a section that goes right to our full circle responsibility program. Within that, you'll see a whole range of resources but one is on emergency preparedness. We have both um, a feature article, but we also have a really useful info sheet that you can go through in terms of check boxes and looking mm-hmm. at your pre-planning checklist for your facility and then what to do around the barn and around the farm. Okay. So it's like making sure that you don't look like a fire hazard around your barn <laughs> or that you have you have emergency medical clinics or uh, little kits in your tack room or just give us a few hints at what you Yeah, think. exactly. And in terms of uh, you yeah, you hit a very good point in terms of fire prevention uh looking at your your barn, do you have uh even if do you have fire dis- extinguishers? Uh if you have mm-hmm. fire extinguishers, do you know how to use them? 
Are they mm-hmm. in working order? Um, yeah. Things like making sure that you're in touch with your local fire department, uh, with your pre-planning checklist, um, make sure it's mapped out, uh, all the dwellings and the buildings and what hazardous materials could be where. Because you have to remember, in, say, the event of a flood, some of these things might be submerged yeah. in terms yeah. of the fence lines, um, in terms of, you know, that propane tank that's sitting there. It might be underwater. Um, outlining and practicing your emergency evacuations and your fire escape plans. That's pretty important. And looking at where you're going to contain your animals in the case of if you have to evacuate. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure a lot of us may not be at our farm all the time. We might have full-time jobs that we're working elsewhere. So what happens? Are you in contact with somebody that can help that may be closer to your facility if in the event of an emergency? That's a great tip, too. These days, nobody has a landline to speak of anymore. Where do you put your emergency numbers? Do you pre-program them in your cell phone? Do you have them in a special spot? It, they, they should be pre-programmed, but if if you do have landlines, um, if you do have a landline in your barn, make sure everything is posted beside the phone. You can't mm-hmm. just assume that, one, you'll remember uh, yeah. the phone numbers in the event of an emergency, but also you don't know who's going to be at your facility that's going to be helping out. So making sure that the whole your whole address is listed mm-hmm. beside the phone, make sure you have your emergency phone numbers, um, make sure, just make it very user-friendly um, because right. you don't want to be second-guessing yourself if an emergency is occurring. Yeah, good tip. I can't tell you how many people come up to Monty and me too and say, well, you know, my horse is never loaded on the trailer, but, you know, we don't take him anywhere anyway, so why should he learn to load on the trailer? Hmm. That's a very what? good point. I mean, it, it, again, if it's an emergency situation and you want to try exactly. to evacuate your animal, that may not be the time to be training your horse to load. Training the horse to load. <laughs> that's exactly right. And that's pretty much the, the reasoning we give every time, too, because a lot of people have given up, and it, it's just... Uh, scary especially in australia where they start getting those fires heck anymore in california we're about we're about toast to toast and burn right now (laughs) so yeah everybody should do well thank you so much that was great stuff i appreciate that everybody could use some of that i'm sure not everybody is completely prepared we i mean even if we haven't looked at our our fire extinguishers for a while we should that's a good (laughs) reminder Thank you very much, Dr. Susan Raymond, for joining us again and giving us a tip. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in Come and Ride Up, August 4th through 8th, is the Monty Special Training. And what's so special about it? People have asked us. I don't know. You have to go and find out. Uh, it's really fun. It's it's a week of fun with horses, 4 through 8. And then August 22 through 24, he'll be a keynote speaker in Illinois at the Brave Hearts Conference. It's, they're the host, serving veterans and providing with purpose. So go on our website and find out about that. Then we have On Flag is at Farms in California, September 20th. We have a night of inspiration. Some of you have been there to that, and it's really fun. We have people coming back. It's it's such a cool night. It's almost like the Renaissance Fair, Glenn. It's it's one of those nights where people come in costume and have a lot of fun. Do you dress and up as the Queen, Debbie? I would love to dress up as the Queen, but that's my mom's position. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> All right. You're just a princess. But you can bow to me anytime. Okay. So, I'm just a princess. And then the 21st of September, we also have life lessons, and that's where I get to be a little bit more in charge. But, you know, life lessons is run with Dr. Sue Kane from Illinois. She comes out from Chicago and does that with us, and it's a workshop. It's a lot of fun, and Dad comes in and um, builds stories into life lessons that he's lived and then how we take that into our lives. And then uh, October 5th, 10th, 16th, 18th, still in October, 22, 24, and 30th, and then we'll tack on November 1st in Glen Eagle, Scotland. Dad's going to be on tour in uh, England, going from Marriswood College all the way to Hartbury. It's just an amazing uh, zigzag that he takes all over England. So that'll take most of October and the first day in November. 
And you can find out more about Monty's schedule just by visiting MontyRoberts.com. You can find Monty's calendar there as well. Or give a call over to the office at 1-805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you can find the links, photos, and more information about the guests. You can also find all of the past episodes. So if you need to get caught up, uh, all 20 of them. You can go back to uh, HorsemanshipRadio.com. You can also find, and I'm happy to say a lot of your listeners are de- doing this, you can download the Horse Radio Network app, either iOS or Android. Go to the App Store and search for Horse Radio Network. It's free. It's easy. It's the simplest way to listen to the show. It just, really is. Uh, yeah, it just makes it so simple, and you can find it at, uh, at, at the App Store on your phone. Mm-hmm. Very good. And you can go to the Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash Monty Roberts and Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Monty underscore Roberts. And many thanks to our sponsors. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you, IFA.com and Monty's University. We'd be sure to be sure to visit all of our other great shows on the Horse Radio Network. Get to hear Glenn quite often there, but a lot of variety on that show now too, on all that network. And until next time, have many happy horses.